And um, we've spent the last several weeks and trying in some way to begin to capture what it is that God has said to us from, from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation about his relationship with us. We started in the very beginning, once upon a time, and it started in Genesis, it started to sound something like this in our storybook. And God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And all of a sudden, over, the period of six, over a period of six statements, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so, and in every case it was good, or at least in the last case it was very good. God produced this absolutely remarkable creation, and he placed you and I right in the middle of that, and, and he, he gave us the privilege of walking in his presence, of talking with him, of being with him. I, there's really so little information available in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that I wish that we knew just a little bit more about what was going on. But it sounds like there was an extended period of time where God just simply dwelled in the presence of his people. just lived with his people in the presence of his people and they walked together and they talked together and God would show up in the cool of the day and they'd have, they'd have a conversation. I mean, it, it sounds like the most remarkable existence that you can ever imagine. Everything that you ever needed for food was provided. Work that was meaningful. Tending the garden enjoying the presence and the company of all the animals of creation without any kind of fear whatsoever of those animals. Just the pleasure of being enriched by this marvelous place and then having God there. I don't know how long that lasted, but it wasn't too terribly long until man, man decided that he, would, he could do better than God. And so they messed it up. And you don't need a lot of evidence of that. I thought about going through an extensive thing. I mean, I, I, I didn't get a chance this morning to look at on, on my website, you know, looking at news and things like that. But it seems like every day, you know, that there's just things. If you open up your morning news link, if you open up your morning newspaper, whatever it is that you, wherever you get your news, it's just obvious we're still messing up. You know, uh, bombings and crashes and, you know, all this stuff that you see um, another terrorist attack or a, a shooting that takes place. Or, and, and, and we just live in this world where the fallenness of humanity just continues to wreak havoc among us, where lives are destroyed. And if that were the end of the story, it, it, it certainly would not end and they lived happily ever after because this is not the way that I want to spend the rest of my life, thank you very much. I don't know about you, but that's not the way I want to live. And so God sets in motion this promise that, that he's going to produce a way to, uh, for, for you and I just to get out of this mess. And, and you, we all know the story, right? It, it first starts in, in simply God creating a system that is, that is, whereby sin can be forgiven, sacrifices are offered, blood is shed, and it starts right there in the middle of that garden where the first animal is killed at, the, at, at God's hand itself, 
in order for something to come along to cover the sins of humanity. And we live with that sacrificial system in front of us for decades, for centuries really, until finally God sends his own son, this perfect sacrifice to begin the process of reversing the mess. And the Hebrew writer reminds us that Christ died once for all. Jesus came and brought salvation to all of humanity. And we live, uh, as the book of Titus tells us, we live in the hope of the glorious coming of his son. Now you come to the other end of that story and everything gets turned around. It's an amazing thing. Everything gets restored. And I have to confess to you that, that, that this sermon is not where it started, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought I knew that it, I thought I knew what I thought I was going to say when we got here. You know, we all get to go to heaven. But I want to invite you to come to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, if you would with me. Revelation chapter 1, if you, um, there should be some Bibles in the pews if you don't have that. Revelation chapter 21, and I just want to ask that we would do something here. If we can just kind of walk through the parts of this incredible chapter, um, the first part of that anyway, today, Um, but just walk through that, uh, and this is really what's coming at the end of the story, and what I want to encourage us to do, what I hope that we always do every week when we, when we, um, when you read your Bible, but particularly this morning, is just to, to read this here fresh, as fresh as you can, without any preconceived ideas or notions of what you think you're going to hear. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1, I think sounds so familiar, so similar to Genesis chapter 1 in some ways. By the way, uh, this is what uh, we're going to be doing today and next week as we wrap up this series. So you can all give a shout, yeah, it's almost over. Um, But look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 1, listen to the first verse down through the fifth verse. Let me make a few comments here and on this here. But Revelation chapter 21, but just listen to this with fresh ears. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. I want you to just hold your finger there just for a moment. Do you remember John chapter 1? If you don't remember, or if you do remember, it, it has that familiar Genesis ring to it. You know, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And do you remember what happens later in that chapter? Verse number 14, And the Word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Does that have a familiar ring here? Look at verse 3 again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. There's this change that seems to be occurring. It, it, It happens in Jesus, and now it's going to happen again. God comes and he dwells with his people. 
I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really having a hard time figuring out, out this going to heaven thing. Because it sounds like a lot here that heaven is coming down to us. Look at the rest of that. They will be his people. The rest of verse 3. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you remember that, doesn't it? Uh, all things become new. Old, um, old things are all gone. Everything is new again. If you remember, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Verse number five, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these are, words are trustworthy and true. God with men, that's really what this is about. It, it, it sounds so much like Genesis. God with men, living among, with, uh, among them, there as, as their God. And it sounds so much like Genesis 1 prior to chapter Three of Genesis, no death, no mourning, no sadness, no crying, nothing of the, of the vestiges of sin, nothing of the consequences of man's poor choices. A world returned and restored to order in which it was given in the first place the privilege, the privileged place of God, of his people with God, without any barrier whatsoever. I've told you everything I know. Because I, I just can't get, quite get my hands around what that means, to be in the presence of God with no barrier, to know that you're actually in the presence of God Himself, and there is nothing that stands between you and Him, nothing that prevents you from intimacy with Him, nothing that... I just don't know what that means. I mean, I, I just don't, I, I don't get it, but I like it. I mean, I, I, I like the thought of it, don't you? He is coming to us and dwelling among us, and there is no sea. In the book of Revelation, the sea is always the place of evil. It's out of the sea that the beast arises. There is no sea in heaven or in the presence of God. And everything that is sinful is, is, is removed. And well, we'll come a little bit further. Verse number six, because see, heaven, the presence of God, him being among his people is just that. It's, it's, it's God among his people. He said to me, verse number six, it, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the... the Incidentally, the, the beginning, uh, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Did you hear that? He who overcomes will inherit the earth. That overcomer language is all over the book of Revelation. Describing those who have overcome the earth, who, who are no longer held by earth's temptations, they, who have overcome the desire to flee or the desire to compromise with the earth. It's those people who have decided that they, they can endure persecution, if that's what it means. 
It's those who have overcome in, in this life here. They, they live in the presence of God. God comes among them. They are His people. But it's not for everyone. And I think among the most frightening of all of the verses, all of the statements in this text, this, this is it right here. Read verse number 8. But. That's how it starts. You ever notice how strong a word that, that little word is? But. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The first one is your bodily death. The second one is the one that sends you into an eternity without the presence of God. It's, it's, it's just a harsh reality. The unfortunate thing is that when I read that list of words, I find myself in that list fairly often. It's, it's just a scary thing to read that list and to, and to recognize how often I find myself listed among those people. This text here, verses 6 through 8, reminds us that those who come, those who come to God, God comes to. It reminds us that those who come to God, God comes to. And it's interesting to notice who's not there, isn't it? Obviously, we haven't read all of what precedes chapter 21. I, I can give you this one piece of confident information. Satan will not be there. He won't. The snake, he's out. He's gone. He got eliminated from the very beginning. You don't have to worry about his presence there. Satan will not be in heaven. Amen. But I want you to notice who else is not there. The other people who are not there are the people who make life on earth hell. The liars, the immoral, the vile, the murderers, the people who come along and they disrupt life as God desires life to be lived. And if you have ever been lied to, you know what that's like. If you've ever been in a relationship where truth and, and, and honesty has been shattered, you know what that's like. It feels just like hell on earth. Do you know why? Because it is. Only that really makes hell trivial, doesn't it? Because if you think that this is bad, try the absence of God beyond any length of time that you can imagine. The people who are not there are the people who make life miserable, and it's those who have rejected God. That's really what makes Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 uh, so similar to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Because in Genesis chapter 1, those who are not allowed to live in the, dark, in the garden are the ones who reject God, who reject His presence. He's not enough for them. Here, take the apple and eat of it because it will make you like God. God isn't good enough for you and so you become like Him and you reject Him and, and then you hear the story in Jude of the, of the angels rejecting Him and you hear about the flood and, 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 and how people rejected Him and you read the book of Judges and how people rejected Him and all the people who reject God are not there because the only people who get to share in the presence of God are the people who don't reject God. 
who take God at his word, who trust them with, his life, with their lives. And, and I, I look at this text and I'm reminded of something that is so utterly, incredibly important for you and for me, and that is this, God is a God of perfect justice and grace. And grace. Because you see, if liars and immoral people and vile people and murderers and unjust people don't get to go to heaven, I might as well go home. And you might as well go home too. Because we're all guilty. Justice says, you don't get to go. But grace says, if you have come to me, it's all yours, every bit of it. My presence, your participation with me is assured because you have responded to my son. See, what, what, we're, what, we're, gonna, what we're doing right now, you know, today in this life, is, 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 is what's really going to determine what happens later, our future and, and, and our, our, our eternity. It, it isn't going to, what, what happens that day, whatever that day looks like when Jesus shows up for the final time, whatever you decide to do right at that moment when Jesus returns, that's not going to make a difference. It's what's happening right now. The simple fact of the matter is, it isn't about your works, although those aren't unimportant, right? It's about one simple thing. Did you or did you not reject my son? That's it. Remember, remember John chapter 1, how similar these stories are? He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to them, they're the ones that he gave the right. They're the ones that he gave the power to become the children of God. I mean, do you hear that? It's all about Jesus. That's the whole story, really. It's all about whether or not you accept or you reject Jesus. If you have accepted him, if you've responded in faith to Christ, if you've been obedient to Jesus and not turned away from him, you have this promise of spending all of what, well, whatever eternity means in the presence of God, in the presence of God, walking in, well, my vision would be northern Minnesota, right? I mean, that's really God's country. I mean, how many of you have been up to northern Minnesota? You guys have, I know. It's beautiful up there, right? That would really be, I mean, that, that, that would really be, that's kind of like heaven on earth. Um, I don't know. Whatever heaven looks like, I'm not sure. You know, preseason football just started up last week. Actually, the Vikings played last night. And they just pounced on for the first part, got kind of kicked around a little bit in the middle part, and came back out pouncing again on the... Denver Broncos. It was fun to see. Their old, their old quarterback, well, their new quarterback that they got last year that had led them through the whole season and then they, they kicked him out and sent him over to Denver. He came back to show, him, show the Vikings something or two and didn't do much. Case Keenum, poor guy. But their new one did real well and then they got all their, all, their second string people all playing and they still pounced on him. It was good. 
I guarantee you that that's not heaven. Not really even close, although we kind of think that sometimes. Finishing a huge project like a house or all the farm in it, maybe gets a little closer, but still not even close, right? That's not what happened. Some of you were at the corn boil on Thursday. Anybody at the corn boil? Not quite heaven, although that's pretty tasty, right? But being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, spending eternity in the presence of God, the presence of God. Well, we celebrate a part of that presence every single week when we participate in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate our redemption. That's really what this series has really been about, is trying to follow that thread from the beginning to the end, how God is trying to buy his people back to become, to, to be in this, the, the, the message is clear of the Bible from the beginning to end. I want to be, I want to be in a relationship with my people. I want to be with them. And God does, and he goes through great ends over and over and over to try to make that happen. We celebrate that redemption from sin that cost God the life of his son Jesus. We celebrate the blood of Jesus shed on the cross because it is our hope because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We celebrate because we have these things in common. Redemption, redemption, hope, resurrection made possible through our common faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to share in that celebration by taking the Lord's Supper. And um, the Lord's Supper is there and there. And